the key here is that DEI can't be an initiative. Um, it has to be woven into the, the true fabric of the organization. The B2B Marketing Exchange was created with one goal in mind, to help B2B practitioners across marketing and sales be better at their jobs. Now we're bringing the insights from the stage to your ears. These are the tips and tools you need to succeed. This is the B2B Marketing Exchange Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the B2BMX podcast. This week, we're taking a look back at a past session from our B2BMX Next Level ABM online experience that happened in June, and this was an awesome panel discussion on a topic that is very near and dear to our hearts, and that's diversity and inclusion in B2B. Last year, many of us at Demand Gen Rapport and B2BMX began an initiative to try to tackle a large and looming issue that we've frankly been discussing for quite some time, and that issue is the undeniable underrepresentation of Black professionals in the B2B marketing and sales space. So as an organization, and frankly as humans, we wanted to really do something more than just talk about it, and collectively we decided to focus on the steps we could take to affect positive change. So to start, we set about to leverage Demand Gen Reports platform, publications, events, broadcasts, and highly engaged community to foster and give voice to black leaders and to spotlight other organizations that are doing the same. So to expand upon this effort, we welcomed a talented and diverse group of B2B marketing and sales experts to join the Demanding Diversity Council, a group that facilitates honest conversations about the challenges black professionals face and acts to support progress towards equality. So I'm so proud of this council. It is just wonderful to have all these amazing professionals share their stories and insights and, and really at the end of the day, diversity, equity, and inclusion have become such a critical discussion point for business leaders across business organizations. So really, at the end of the day, some have positive intent, right? But many approaches and systems end up kind of falling into some traps. So we put together this panel to tackle these concerns and really I just loved having <laughs> having our demanding diversity council members a part of it as well. We're just so thrilled that they took the time to share their perspectives on this really important topic. So with all of that said, I knew I had to include this replay on the show to really keep this topic in mind for our audience and, and for everyone listening. So Check it out. We cover everything from the true experiences of black professionals in the B2B sales and marketing professions, how to expand your candidate pool and attract new talent, how to foster an environment that empowers and retains talent, and how to support mentorship and sponsorship that drives talent growth and progression. It's an awesome, awesome conversation. So with that, let's roll the tape. Welcome to From Awareness to Accountability, Leveling Up Your Diversity and Inclusion Initiatives for Real Action. I am Brandy Starr, Chief Operating Officer with Tegrita and international best-selling author. Uh, I'm really excited to be able to say that now because uh, that is new. Uh, and I am here with Nikki Ivy and Chi Johnson. So Nikki is an accomplished luminary among revenue leaders 
and B2B culture subject matter expert. And she is known for her charismatic approach to marketing communications and tenacious activism for the equitable achievement of Black people. So welcome, Nikki and Chi. So excited to have you. So great to be here. Thank you. Uh, so I know we don't have a ton of time and diversity and inclusion is a hot topic right now. So I want to go ahead and just jump in. Um, so today, what we want to cover is really the Black experience in corporate America, especially in marketing um, today. And so we're going to start with talking about attracting talent. Uh, then we'll move into fostering an environment that helps uh, organizations to retain Black talent, which sometimes can be the hardest part, um, and then mentoring and sponsoring talent for growth. Uh, so my first question, um, I'm a country music fan, and there's an old country song from the 80s called Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places. And this always makes me think about the recruitment efforts of most organizations, they claim or attempt to search for Black and minority talent in places where we simply aren't are, and then draw the conclusion that there isn't qualified Black talent out there. Um, and so, Chi, I'll start with you in wanting to get some of your thoughts on how do companies do better? So that is one of the biggest pillars of the Black Marketers Association of America is creating a space where you can find that talent so that you have no excuses. Uh, the beautiful thing about our organization is we're actually one of a few um, organizations that are focusing on collecting Black talent in one central location, creating an environment where they feel safe to talk about their, um, their history, their professional development um, thus far, and how to continue moving forward. Um, but most of all, we work with corporate partners directly to create recruitment events. So if you are looking in all of these places and you haven't figured out how to use Google and to type in Association of Black Marketers or Association for Black Talent or whatever role you're trying to fill, we've done it for you and we'll host a, a recruitment event that brings them all to you. So um, that's one of the ways that we're doing it. And it's been really, really great so far. Um, our corporate partners really, really love it. And one of the my favorite parts of this event, of the recruitment event, is that it's it's no holds barred. Like you, you can't hide behind that got that uh, the veil of PC, like politically correctness. Like we're going to ask you the questions, and we're expecting you to come and be honest and authentic and transparent about the your organization and its previous approach to diversity, current you know initiatives, and the future goals, and how you expect to hold yourself accountable for those goals. I hope I, I think I answered that question. <laughs> yes. Thoroughly. Um, and so Nikki, I want to uh, ask the question from a little bit different angle for you. In So beyond making sure to partner with uh, organizations that can connect you to Black talent, what are your thoughts just overall in the way that uh, companies recruit, the way that they structure their roles? Um, any ideas in terms of what organizations can do better there? Absolutely. So one of the things in terms, especially of looking in all the wrong places, McKinsey says that 60% of the Black workforce is concentrated in Southern states. That's not really anywhere near Silicon Valley. So if your efforts to recruit focus on the location, which it often does, 
then you're going to miss 60% of the Black workforce. And if you know this, there's just not an excuse for doing that. Um, another example, when we talk about where folks look, obviously, specifically in, you know, B2B roles, right, whether it be marketing or sales, these recruitment efforts, I, I lived in Austin for a very long time, and you have big tech campuses for companies like Indeed, Google, all of these, um, and they have these recruitment events at UT, right? It's a huge D1 school. My daughter's going there this fall. Uh, but down the street where my husband went, Houston Tillotson is an HBCU. They're not having those recruiting events there. And so th there are really concrete ways in which uh, companies can pretty easily, right, at least begin to address where they look uh, for Black talent. But in order to do that, it takes overcoming within themselves this idea that there just isn't enough Black talent in the pool. And one thing that I have seen, you know, in my role, I connect with a lot of CMOs. And one thing that I see often is there's almost this lack of awareness that what they're doing is not actually getting in front of the right people in, you know, like, well, this is the big school. So using your example of UT, well, this is the big school in the area. Of course, they could come here if they went to any other school. Well, if it's only promoted on campus, then guess what? You're missing the mark. Um, likewise, I think the other thing that I see in this is even in just the way that they position job descriptions. You know, a lot of those studies show that Black candidates don't always follow the, you know, sort of natural progression in the path in their career. So if you are structuring your job position that you got to have X number of years in this and a degree specifically in that and, you know, these like really rigid requirements of what you are deeming the ideal candidate you are often alienating the diverse talent who has the experience that is definitely a transferable skill, but they didn't follow the normal path. Um, so I think that, you know, we've kind of covered three key angles. So just to synthesize that, number one, recruiters and organizations can partner with organizations like BMAA and others that uh, bring together Black talent. Number two is making sure that your recruitment efforts are in the right places. Um, so looking at HBCUs, marketing those recruitment efforts wherever they're located outside. And then number three, taking a look at your um, job descriptions and identifying if there is language in those that is alienating the talent that you're trying to attract. Brandy, I do want to add to your second point mm -hmm. really quickly. Um, I, as an attendee of a pre PWI, what we call a predominantly white institution, um, we had a lot of Black talent that gets overlooked. Um, so another, op another opportunity to reach Black talent at those universities you're probably already recruiting at is partnering with national organizations like the NAACP or the BSA, which is the Black Student Alliance. That is a concentration of Black talent in all aspects. So you're able to reach more than Black marketers by just tapping into those resources on a national level and they can disperse to each campus that they have a presence on, which is almost all of them. Yeah. Thank you, Keith. That's really important. 
very good point. Um, Nikki, you brought up McKinsey research, and I always like to, you know, to ground these discussions in the, the research. So I'll throw out a McKinsey quote, and I've got a little post-it note over here. I'm going to read it to you uh, verbatim. So according to McKinsey, when it comes to acceptance, authenticity, and values, Black workers in the United States and their counterpart see their companies quite differently. Black employees often don't feel that their employers value and embrace diversity. The system for evaluation and promotion is fair and that they can be their full selves. The result of this is a trust deficit between companies and their Black employees. So I'll start with you, Nikki. What do you think leads to this trust deficit? I think the most blaring example is when companies go to great efforts, right? Specifically in their marketing efforts to, you know, tout their, you know, they stand with this group or that, right? Or how important diversity is to them. People that work there know whether or not that's true. And there is only so long that those types of things can be kept under wraps. I mean, we're seeing these headlines happen now. I won't name any names, right? Because I'm not, it's not really even about any one organization, but things like, you know, a large sports retailer who is publicly known for a very particular stance that they've taken uh, in solidarity with Black lives. But what ended up happening is the people who actually worked at that organization uh, started an Instagram account where you had Black employees anonymously telling stories about times that they had been microaggressed against, uh, times where they hadn't had their uh, careers sponsored and they saw a discrepancy between what they and their white counterparts uh, were getting. So step one, you just have to be about it, right? Otherwise, people will sniff that out. I think step two, when we're talking about you know, how, where this distrust comes from. For me, I'll speak from my personal experience. When I've had times when I went on a job interview and I didn't feel like I could ask, you know, what is, how, how, who is in charge? Who is accountable for, you know, how diverse this team is and what you guys are doing to support and retain uh, underrepresented talent, right? I didn't feel like I could ask that because I thought, okay, I'll be treated like a troublemaker. And then what was, what hit me, right, was like, but they're not offering this information. They're not asking this either. So if I don't bring it up, it doesn't get brought up. And so even if I do start working at that company, say they hire me, then, but, but then it's not brought up any other time while I'm there again, right? Like they have, you have these opportunities throughout a candidate's career to prove them wrong or reassure them, but it just, it ends up happening uh, the other way, at least anecdotally, right? So Chi, I'll ask you, what do you think companies can do about this? Because I think Nikki's experience is very common. Um, so for those that are attending this discussion, what do they do to help to foster the trust within the organization? I, I like to make an analogy about, because we're, we're all marketers or positioned somewhere around marketing here, right? So we would be absolutely ridiculous if we had a marketing campaign with no metrics to track if it's working um, or if we started something, started putting things out and never looked back to see what how it was performing. So the first thing is not just uh, creating, a, like, like, like uh, Nikki said, putting out this statement about your stance 
without putting policies behind it, an actual effort, a corporate strategy that's a part of your um, your mission statement, like really integrating it within the culture of your company. Don't just say DNI as if it's a part, uh, as if it's a, a partial initiative or it's just something that's seasonal, like a campaign. It has to be an actual pillar of your business in order for it to to weave its way through the the tapestry of your business in every level, right? So the way to do that is to have policies that hold you accountable for the goals you're setting. So the set goals and then create policies that hold you accountable that say, if our goal is to increase retention of our Black employees by 20% over the next five years, what is the consequence if that doesn't happen? How are you going to track that? You know, is this going to be reported in your annual report? Are you going to report to your shareholders? Are you going to report to your employees that this is your progress? It's being comfortable as a company to raise your hand and say, this is where we are, uh, this is where we're going, and this is how we're going to make sure that we're reaching those goals. And, you know, I don't know what those consequences look like, but it's creating a policy that holds you, that you can check and say, this is where we are, and this is what's working, this is what isn't, and this is how we can move forward. It has to be a continuous conversation, or you're not going to have a space where those Black employees can raise their hand and say, this makes me uncomfortable, or I don't feel represented or um, I'd like to ask this question. There, there's, It's rare that we have that safe place to do that. On that note, I want to directly answer the question as to what folks can do to dispel that trust, mm-hmm. um, that mistrust. What we rarely see in an onboarding process, right, when you start at a company is at least I'll speak for myself, but what I have really seen uh, are trainings specifically directed at culture, specifically directed at how certain culture issues are treated in this place. Um, and, you know, I work at a company called M-Train. That is specifically what we do, but not to plug them. I'm just saying when I started there on the calendar, right, you know, you have an onboarding calendar and you say, okay, this is where my Salesforce training is. This is where I have a meet and greet. Uh, with mm-hmm. you know, my whatever other employee there is as my partner there. And typically that's where it stops, right? What helped me feel more trusting was that alongside those things, aka treated with the same importance as those things was, here is your training on unconscious bias. Everybody in the company goes through this training, right? Here is your training on preventing workplace harassment, right? And everybody in the company from entry level to exec goes through this training. And I think that's a, a really simple way that companies can, A, put their money where their mouth is, and B, send this message, uh, however implicitly, right, uh, that we're, we don't just talk about these things. This is something that we want from the time a person starts the company to reinforce as a value. So what I'm I hearing from both of you is that the key here is that DEI can't be an initiative. Um, it has to be woven into the the true fabric of the organization. Yeah. And one thing that I have heard talk about uh, talked about a lot recently is DEI and B focusing on belonging. And the kinds of things that you spoke about, Nikki, I think really go a long way in helping people to feel like they belong. Um, that things are just accepted and normalized, that you don't have to show up as, you know, your work self versus your home self. Like that trust is is really important. 
Um, I want to I want to shift gears again. Uh, I can't remember which of you brought it up, but someone brought up sponsorship um, and the studies have shown that most black employees feel like they need to work twice as hard to achieve the same results and that when they are promoted, that that promotion is overdue versus being well deserved. Um, and so only 33% of black employees report having at least one sponsor within the organization. Um, so I would say, Chi, can you talk a little bit about what sponsorship is and why it is so imperative? Yes. So, uh, this is a very like hefty topic for me. Um, so I'm going to try my very best to stay like concise with it, um, specifically because it can very easily, I can go down the rabbit rabbit hole of uh, oppression and effects uh, because it's all very, very tightly related. So uh, to define what sponsorship is, it's having an advocate for you at work. Um, someone who at your place of employment knows who you are, knows what your professional goals are, and at every opportunity they can, they are making sure that their work supports their own goals and yours because they are typically in a place of leadership. They are very rarely a linear peer, um, but they are all, almost always, actually always someone who is in a leadership position and has the ability to reach down um, and say, this person is excellent, they deserve this, X, Y, Z, all of those things. So how that manifests within an organization, it's going to bat for you for a promotion. It's making sure that your um, compensation is on par with your peers that are of other demographics. It's making sure that all of the, the boxes that need to be checked are checked so that you don't have to. Um, and the fact that very rarely, uh, I, I honestly... It's not surprising that Black people uh, very rarely have sponsorship at work. I think, unfortunately, in the workplace culture, sponsorship as a whole is on the decline for all candidates of all demographics. But it's very, it's not as important that it's declining for white people as it is for Black people, because we know that there are privileges that others have that we don't. Um, so sponsorship, I love to use the uh, example of equity. So we talk about equality, we talk about inclusion, but the most important piece is equity. And so I'm sure you've all seen that picture where people are um, trying to look over the fence of the baseball field and it's different people, different heights and things like that. Creating a sponsor, like having a sponsorship program clearly defined within your organization makes sure that no matter the height of the person coming to the fence, that, that the ladder they're stepping on gives them the view over it. So as a Black person, we know that when we come to the fence, it's going to be much higher for us than others. So as what sponsorship does is it creates that box that's a little bit taller than your peers so that I can look over and I can see the, the ball game just like my, my counterparts. You know what? I love this. And I'm going to go a little bit. I know what you mean about the like the privilege versus disadvantage rabbit hole because it all does kind of, you know, it has a source. Right. Like a it goes down gentrification, yeah. all of those things. <laughs> right. They have systemic sources. But so a little bit higher up the funnel from what you talked about when it comes to, okay, somebody at your organization doing this or that. LinkedIn did a study that not surprisingly found that most B2B hiring happens from within a person's network. That is to say, if you are not in the network of the people who mostly occupy these leadership roles, who is 
it's it's white males. That's the fact. Um, then you're already less likely a to even get into the organization, and b if you came through more traditional channels to get the job, then the likelihood that you're going to get the same sponsorship as someone hired directly from one of the leaders' network is pretty low. So even before we get into these organizations, there is an imperative for leaders. If you know that you lead an organization, you're going to be in a position of hiring or recruiting or referring people. You have to make sure that you're opening up your network to folks who are as yet underrepresented in your network. So not just your organization needs to be more, right? Understand that it's farther up the funnel that these things need to happen. And that doesn't just mean clicking add on LinkedIn to Hello. a bunch of minorities. Right, right. Yes. <laughs> you have to because, create a relationship <laughs> because that is what happens. Like, look, look, scroll through my LinkedIn. They're, they're there, I promise. What does that mean? What does that mean? It's exactly like having the black friend. That doesn't, that, that doesn't mean anything when you're saying I'm not racist. I have a black friend. That literally means nothing you know, how are you showing up in that friend's life? How are you advocating for them? How are you being an effective part of their personal and professional growth? And that extends to the workplace. It has to, that's what sponsorship is. And I'll give a great example of sponsorship because I have been fortunate enough in prior roles before being in leadership to have had um, more than one person in my career take an interest and to be that sponsor for me. And at one point I worked in the property and casualty insurance uh, arena in marketing and insurance is very much a good old boy kind of network. Like people have been in insurance for generations. Um, And as a young black woman coming in who, you know, I had a boss um, who very much saw a lot of opportunity in me. And he would start to invite me to things where I technically didn't belong. Um, so, you know, happy hours where it was, you know, going to be a bunch of the leaders, um, you know, senior leadership meetings, he would find something for me to present that even just me coming into those meetings for the 10 minutes and the three slides I had to share, people started to know my name. Um, and know, at least know of me enough that when he started to advocate for me to have a larger role, I wasn't a stranger. They were like, oh yeah, I remember she showed that thing. Oh yeah, didn't she come to that happy hour? Um, And the level of effort for him, and this is the key thing for those watching to take away, the level of effort for the sponsor is generally minimal but has a tremendous impact. Like when he invited me to happy hour, he wasn't buying my drinks. Like he just said, hey, come here after work at six o'clock and here's two people that you want to make sure to connect with. And then when I showed up, he would introduce me, hey, this is such and such. I wanted y'all to meet because, and then he may not speak to me for the rest of you know, the evening. But that little effort made a huge difference in the trajectory of my career, as well as, you know, me being able to keep my income at least close to on par with my white male counterparts. And so the impact of sponsorship, um, you know, helps talent to grow and it also helps with retention. 
Um, and before we run out of time, I know that I am always very action oriented. So whenever I have the opportunity to lead a panel, I always end with the same type of question. And that is for all of those that are attending this session, some in leadership, some not, what is one thing that you feel that everyone attending can do as individuals? What they can walk away with, what they can think about, act on, some small win that will move D-E-I-N-B in the right direction. Uh, So Nikki, I'll start with you. Yeah, I think that one of the things, one of the easiest opportunities, and it doesn't matter, again, whether you're entry level or exec, is to just have a conversation with your in-house DEI and HR leaders. Here's why. For a bit of time in my life, I was selling to those folks. And what I found in their stories was often heartbreaking. They were coming into these organizations with high ideals of what they'd be able to get across the line in terms of impacting culture, but didn't have a lot of the buy-in from the folks who, you know, hold the budget. And so if they just had allies within the organization, which I'm sure they did, but they just didn't know it, know it. So not enough sales leaders or marketing leaders understand the impact that they could have if they threw their influence and support behind these DEI leaders and HR leaders. So it's not just, okay, this DEI leader thinks that this is a good thing because they're just, you know, they care so passionately about this thing. No, uh, there is a hunger within the culture of this company to get these types of programs up off the ground. And the louder you can make that, the more support you can throw behind your in-house culture leaders, the higher chance you have of getting things like that across the line and having these things funded. And the fact that it comes from someone who is, the the fact if it comes from someone who is not a member of a uh, marginalized community, it speaks more volume. And so I, I love that point because it's, it, it matters. It matters that people that don't look like us are raising their hand and saying this needs to be done. Yeah. Awesome. So we are just over a year on the heels of George Floyd's murder and the increased visibility of the Black Lives Matter movement. And if I think about 2020, the, the key call to action for allies was to educate yourself to you know, do the work, to understand what the Black experience really is like, some of the history that has led to some of the bias and some of the privilege that we don't experience. Now, um, I think the theme of the conference, uh, the B2B MX conference of leveling up really becomes the call to action for 2021. And that leveling up goes beyond just the awareness and education, but really for every person listening to evaluate yourself as an individual, to evaluate your organization. Now is really the time to do. Um, Don't treat racial disparities in the workplace with skepticism. Uh, because no matter what you don't think that you see, it is happening, um, and it is happening, you know, virtually everywhere. And you have to be willing to provide a safe space for all minority employees to express themselves and the challenges that they see within their careers and within the organization. You have to listen 
you have to believe them, and then you have to take action. So as we level up our diversity and inclusion efforts, um, it is now time for real action. Uh, so I thank everyone for joining this panel. Nikki and Chi, I thank you both for joining me. This has been an awesome conversation. Hopefully everyone has taken something, some small thing that they can take away from this discussion uh, and implement in their lives and in their workplace. Because if we, uh, you know, when you know better, you have to do better. Um, and it, it is up to all of us, both minorities and allies to really make a difference. Thank you all and enjoy the rest of the conference. I loved this session so much. It was really eye-opening to learn the challenges and stories of today's Black professionals. So I hope it inspired you to make a change at your own organizations, even if it's a very small one. So if you're interested in learning more about the Demanding Diversity Council, I'm going to drop a piece of content that we created around the council and you'll learn everything about what we're doing and the wonderful people who are a part of it. So please check it out. Thank you everyone for tuning into today's episode. As always, be sure to subscribe to the pod so you don't miss any new episode drops. And you can always find us on all of the major podcast players out there. Of course, you could always drop me a line as well. I'm on Twitter, LinkedIn. So share your thoughts, feedback, future guest suggestions, or just come say hi. So that's a wrap on another episode. Thank you again for joining us. I will catch you next week.